Hello, Internets. My name is Walter Ciades Fedchuk, and welcome back to another fantabulous edition of the Final Cut Podcast, a podcast about movies presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, it has been two weeks since we spoke about our last film, uh, Kristen Stewart's portrayal of Princess Diana uh, in, uh, in Spencer, and since that uh, recording session, I caught covid so I had about a week where I was quarantined and in my house doing nothing. So I finally had a chance to watch what is arguably one of the longest movies I have seen since Lord of the Rings Return of the King uh, at the recommendation of my co-host and extremely good friend, Chase Redshirt King Wassener. Chase, before we get into the nitty gritty of the movie you recommended, how have you been doing? You know, I'm I don't have COVID, so I have that going for me. I'll take that as a win, to be sure. I am very glad that you have made a, a full recovery since then, but I am also very glad that we get a chance to talk about Drive My Car, which is a foreign language film. And I don't think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you've watched a ton of those in your movie watching career. I can remember watching uh, one foreign language movie uh, off the top of my head, and it was a movie called Blue Samurai uh, that my brother and former podcast uh, uh, guest Alex uh, on the the Hearthstone Nepotism, the podcast episodes, um, we watched it as part of, I want to say, like a sophomore class project for him where they had to like compare and contrast um two different movies about a certain time period and they they you know were presented with with options and one of them was the last samurai uh starring uh tom cruise and then this movie blue samurai and off the top of my head that is the only foreign language movie i think i have ever seen and it was a really i remember it being a really good movie um but yeah it's it's not something that's in my wheelhouse it's not something that's in my repertoire and when it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture Oscar this year, it kind of was around our like list of things we should see. And you you pushed it heavily enough on me. They said, "All right, I'm sitting here doing nothing. I'm I have three hours to kill and watch this movie." And I'm glad that I did. Uh, but Chase, what is your kind of foreign language film experience? Well, I've been watching a lot more of them over the last couple of years, and this is why it pays to have a roommate. Uh, who used to work in production in uh, the film industry, because uh, he tends to go into the deeper dives than what I would typically go into. And it means that I've been exposed to a lot of different films and and interesting films. And I think that Parasite was certainly a movie that, in the public consciousness, I think reframed how people approach foreign films, right? That was a Best Picture winner from a uh, really talented uh, Korean director, Korean cast. And I, I I remember during their press tour, the, I, the, the quote that I am paraphrasing about not letting a barrier of one-inch subtitles get in the way of experiencing art. And it's something that's stuck with me and something that I've tried to keep in mind when I'm taking in a whole bunch of different things. You know, it, it's really interesting to see what some of these great directors and really talented uh, actors are doing in these other places in the world, even if I'm not necessarily going to be able to to sit down and watch a ton of, of Japanese films. I can 
watch this and, and see what uh, Hamaguchi is doing and some of these really talented acting performances that we got here. Um, there's just... The world is so much bigger than just what is presented if you were to only pay attention to the things that get big theatrical releases stateside, you know? And I'm very... I, I'm loving to exploring that more and more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think that uh, the point of saying, like, why would you let, you know, an inch subtitle ruin something for you, I think is very poignant. And I, I definitely, in like, in the past, never would have approached a foreign language film unless I absolutely needed to for, like, a school project or something. Um, but when you suggested this to me, just because I have, with the show, have wanted to be much more broad in what I've been watching, I was, I, I thought about it and I was like, listen, like, the, the few animes that I have watched, I watch in, you know, Japanese with the subtitles. I, I'm a I'm a subs, not dubs kind of guy. I, I love Naruto Shippuden and I watch it, you know, with the original voice acting. And it's like, if I can get through that, like, there's no excuse. Like, there is zero excuse for me not to be able to watch a foreign language film. And I think part of not having a lot of experience with it means that I don't know a lot about the director, the actors, the plot synopsis, pretty much anything going into this film. So Chase, right off the bat, starting at the beginning like we normally do, what were your expectations going into this and kind of what were some of your first thoughts uh, as you exited the movie? So going in, what I knew is that it was a Japanese film that was three hours long and got a best picture nod which is something that the Academy doesn't do very often. Uh, the idea of foreign films being in Best Picture is not particularly common. They usually like to have them do their own separate thing. That's why we have a category for that. Um, but so, so, so to get that attention and to get nominated for director and adapted screenplay, um, you know, these are big nominations. And so I went in with the idea of like, okay, this is three hours long. This is going to be uh, you know, more of a, a journey, a more of a uh, emotional kind of slow burn, but one that clearly resonated with a lot of the uh, Academy voters and with the people who have seen this film who told me about it. And having seen it now, I totally understand why. Uh, these are some incredible acting performances um, uh, Hidetoshi, I'm going to try so hard to pronounce these names correctly, y'all. I'm sorry in advance. It's not going to go great, but I am going to try. Uh, I, you know, as, as Yusuke, I think, did a great job. Uh, Toko Miura as Misaki did an incredible job. Um, I, across the board, you get these really uh, engaging actors who do such an incredible job of showing the depth of the emotions that they are dealing with and taking the time to really talk through how they feel and how they're processing the world. It is really a, a, a philosophical exploration of so many things about art and relationships and how we connect to each other and how the things that we're afraid of and the things that we screw up on live with us and, and stay with us and what that means to, to hold on to it. Um, I, I think it's a, a film that does a really great job of exploring a lot of different things. And I'm really glad that I took the time to see it because uh, I, I never would have 
uh, had it not gotten the Best Picture nod. Absolutely. And just to, in case you haven't watched this film, because I, one, I'm going to suggest, hey, definitely, like we normally do, go watch the film. We're probably going to spoil some stuff. Um, but even with the spoilers, I definitely think it's it's worth a worth a long watch, even knowing kind of where everything goes. A, a quick little brief synopsis here. I'm taking it off of IMDb. Uh, two years after his wife's unexpected death, uh, Yusuke Kafuku, uh, a renowned stage actor and director, receives an offer to direct a production of Uncle Vanya at a theater festival in Hiroshima. There he meets Misaki Watari, a taciturn young woman assigned by the festival to show for him in his beloved Red Saab 900. As the production's premiere approaches, tensions mount amongst the cast and crew, not least between Yusuke and Koshi Takatsuki, a handsome TV star who shares an unwelcome connection to Yusuke's late wife. Forced to confront painful truths raised from his past, Yusuke begins, with the help of his driver, to face the haunting mysteries his wife left behind. Uh, again, that is more information now than I'm giving you than I had going in. Uh, much like Chase, <laughs> I knew it was a foreign language film. I knew it was nominated for Best Picture. And I knew it was in Japanese. And there was a red sob on the the cover art. Um, but yeah, just beyond that, just sort of the, the storytelling. Um, the other thing that stuck out, stood out to me was that it was set in Hiroshima. And that was like, oh, I wonder if we're going to be, be talking, you know in some ways about that and no it's just that that's the setting location that's the name of the city it really doesn't matter in, in the long run of ever, anything it's except just kind of being a a known location i'm sure people that have lived in japan or lived in hiroshima much like me when we talked about nightmare alley would be able to point out you know certain buildings or certain set locations and go hey i know that place yeah um, it's a city things yeah. happen there yeah it's a city <laughs> and things happen there it has a cultural center where they put on plays. And actually, that's something I want to point out right at the beginning. The, the creativity that uh, that Yasuke shows as a director and hosting these, these plays, that they are like multi-language, that they are performing the, these works. Uh, Uncle Vanya is, uh, I believe, a um, uh, Russian. Um, yeah, that's yeah, one of Chekhov's. Yeah, uh, it, it's very a, famous uh, for his gun. Yes, it, it is. A, it is a Russian play, and instead of it being just only you know uh, translated into Japanese and performed for, by a Japanese audience, it is performed. Uh, there is there is obviously Japanese. There is Korean. There is Mandarin. There is Korean sign language. Um, Which, oh my god, she insane. <laughs> just incredible and it's sort of by that by that point it, it's probably into like the second act of the movie I, I feel like this is a movie of three acts but it just shows the creativity and sort of the thought process not just of of um uh again yasuke but the actual director itself uh uh rasuke hamaguchi and just sort of the like outside of the box thinking of like what it means to create art uh chase obviously we're talking about uncle vanya as a as a play that is happening within it there is sort of this narrative within the narrative that uh yasuke is confronting his past and is dealing with these complex emotions of his past through this russian screenwrites play as he is directing it yeah, it's, you know, Uncle Vanya is a, a tough one, as a lot of uh, Russian theater can be. It's 
certainly a, an exploration of someone who lets his uh, bitterness and his inability to let go of the past uh, prevent him from being able to find a happier future. Um, and it's something that Yusuke, as a, as a character, brings up is something that he can't touch anymore. There's an emotional vulnerability that is required to play a role like that, in which you are putting all of yourself into a character whose fears and flaws mirror your own. Um, if you are the kind of like method actor, as they, they like to, to say it, uh, I, I think the getting in that headspace when it's something with which you have such a, a strong negative reaction is hard. And in having him step away and be directing it rather than participating it uh, in it gives him a chance to explore those feelings. Uh, and you see um, when he's casting it, right? He casts Koji, the man who slept with his wife at the beginning of the film in that Uncle Vanya role, almost as if like, I want you to experience what I have experienced. I want you to understand what it's like to be on my side of things. And, and so many of the uh, casting bits really speak to these different elements of these characters. Um, and and I, I, I cannot remember what the name of the uh, deaf actress is, but oh my God, what an incredible performance. I blown away by what she brings to the play and how her arc comes together. You know, this idea of how well she's able to put her emotions behind her performance and the accessibility that that brings in the, um, the ability to connect with a desperate character through this connection you know, that's being explored. The the connection that her character is struggling to have with Uncle Vanya matched by the connection that she has to live without because she can't experience the world the way that hearing people can, you know? It, it's all really cleverly put together. And when Yasuke inevitably takes the role of Vanya on at the end, it's this really passionate performance that shows that he has come to, if not a peace with what has happened, with his role and how things went down, at least an acceptance of it and an ability to embrace that part of himself, even if it hurts. And I, I think that while a lot of, you know, movies about movies or movies about plays, whatnot, they can get very... Uh, full of themselves very quickly. You know, I, I think uh, the Oscars love movies that are about how art is great. Um, that's uh, a tried and true. Um, but this is not just art is good. It's about how art makes you vulnerable and how art can be used as a way to explore all of these deeper issues and connect all of these things together. And I think that doing it this way and, and with the particular uh, play that they chose to, to base it on, just really smart decisions across the board.
Yes, I think there the discussion that um, that Yusuke has with Koji when he talks about why he's not taking the role of Vanya when they're they're in the uh, the bar the first time, and it is very clear that he is basically telling the younger actor you need to experience this and and in general he tells all of the actors that are performing underneath them they need to experience um when uh, when lee yoon who is the the um uh the korean sign language uh performer and yes. um and and the other actor um the other actress when they are practicing this scene from uncle vanya and they have this moment and they've Yusuke has moved the performance outside because it's so beautiful, but also because he is trying to let the Misaki, who is the chauffeur, experience the rehearsal as she asked for earlier, but she didn't want to intrude and she's tried to stay very separate from everything. They have this moment acting out the scene and the performance and uh, the the actress Park Yu-rim, um, just all of the, the signing that she does. You, you would think that it would lack some kind of emotion, but she is almost one of the most emotional portraying actors in the entire film. Every time she's doing the sign language, when it needs a punctuation, she you know slaps her hands together, but the slaps are almost done differently every single time to help convey what kind of emotion that she's trying to portray, this determination, being upset, being happy, being, you know, all of these things. And... There's a second conversation between Koji and Yusuke, and Koji tries to ask what happened, and Yusuke basically is like, it's between those two actors. It's what they experienced together, and they're the only ones who will be able to uh, be able to tell you about it. I can't tell you what they experienced because I wasn't the performer. And it is this sort of... This sort of living in the character's skin that draws you into the movie completely and you are complete, you are captivated by everything that's going on, even prior to this. Like I said, this is a film in three acts. Opening credits don't hit until the 41st minute, which I didn't even yeah. realize I had watched the movie that long and all of a sudden opening credits <laughs> happened. I was like, whoa, this is this was this supposed to be a tv show first and this is like the end of the first episode and but just <laughs> across the board the performers here have you so invested not only in their performance in the movie itself but then even deeper into the performance in, of this play uncle vanya and even when uh when yasuke is acting a little bit earlier in that first part of the film and he's do, they're performing waiting for godot it is it is captivating, and I almost wanted to watch the full you know the full performance of Waiting for Godot or Waiting for Uncle Vanya to just see what these actors could portray and to see how how deep down the rabbit hole I could get pulled. And there is an an emotional evolution that happens over the entire course of the movie, and this sort of there's layers. There's layers to all of these complex relationships, not between each other, but between Yasuke and, and his dead wife, Oto, and between Misaki and her, her dead mother, which is kind of her emotional arc that, that parallels Yasuke. And as they get to know each other, they sort of, you know, let these, they give little pieces of the story. And then as you get to know someone, you're willing to give more details. And... At, at first, while I was watching it, at sometimes it felt almost like 
and this sounds negative because I know this isn't supposed, you know, this isn't a portrayal, but it almost comes across as one upmanship, you know, one upsmanship of like, oh, you think your life is so bad? Well, here's this little detail I forgot to add in earlier, and oh, here's this little detail I forgot to add in earlier. But that sort of emotional structure and that evolution, it's insanely well done, and I can't think of another movie that I've watched recently that that does that. It it seems like American cinema is very is a little bit more straightforward with kind of the emotional connections that they want you to build. Well, you know, I I think so much of this, right, is the way that we learn to let our guard down, right? The way that these characters who have to really tear themselves down and go back to the basics, which is something that's emphasized in the play as well, right? When they're just starting, it's just about the words. Take out the emotion. Don't put anything onto it yet until you truly understand these basics. And and the relationship between Yusuke and Misaki, uh, uh, Misaki is very similar in that regard. Uh, it's this idea of starting from this base level of building an understanding with each other. Her showing an interest in the play and in, in him and in the woman who does the voice recordings that he is constantly responding back to and the way that that bounces off and and that leads to these little moments that they reveal to each other and yeah i i think that in in a lot of cinema and certainly american cinema uh i think would qualify for this there would be a tendency to be like well now's the time to get this off of our character's chest right because then it's there and you can build the plot off of that like now it's about finding a resolution to this thing and overcoming that angle and this film is not that. This film is about living in that hurt. It's about coming to terms with how you process things and how you let other people in on something that feels so personal and so raw and that no one else would understand, you know? Because especially, you know, you look at Yasuke, and I think this is, one of the things that really made me realize how much I love this film, you see the early moments, right? And it's him getting cheated on and he just goes back to work like nothing happened and he doesn't say anything. And you're thinking to yourself like, man, you should really say something. How, you know, this is your moment. You should stand up for yourself. Like you deserve better than this, buddy. Um, and then... By the end of the film, you know, he's talking about how, yeah, I should have stood up for myself. I was so afraid of facing this and making it real by acknowledging it with her that I didn't have that conversation and I never will now. And and what it means will never get resolved because she's not here anymore. Um, and... I'm thinking to myself at that point, like, well, that's not fair to yourself, man. You were doing your best, right? It's such a difficult thing to do, and you couldn't have known that she was going to have a brain hemorrhage. And I realized that I was arguing against myself from the first part of the film. And that's a really hard thing to do. And you have to take your time to do it. You have to let us understand these characters and learn these things and the pain that they are processing needs to give its time to breathe so that it can really hold that weight 
because it is so much more heartbreaking when Yusuke talks about how maybe if he'd come home, he could have saved his wife and the conversation could have happened and maybe life goes in a completely different direction. It's so much harder and it hits so much better because we took a couple hours of realizing just how hard it is for him to talk about it at all and just how much he has built his life around insulating himself from something that is understandably incredibly painful and something that outside of Misaki probably didn't feel like he can talk to anyone to both because you know patriarchal cultures are kind of dumb in terms of men talking about their feelings but also because anyone who would talk to him about it would probably say well it's not your fault or uh the exact opposite uh, and neither one of those would be helpful for the thing that he's feeling the only thing that he can really resonate with and and have that sense of if if not closure acceptance to is with someone who made a very similar choice who had a similar struggle that they are also struggling to process and have built their life around and misaki is a perfect foil for that because of everything that she deals with with her mom and uh the house collapsing and and her choice to let that happen because her mom was an asshole and now she doesn't get to have a mom that could figure life out you know and and it's the slow burn makes that work it doesn't work if you just tell us that that's how they feel and we're halfway through the film and now we do something with it it's so much more powerful by making us really live with it um and i appreciate the restraint that this film shows in order to make that happen it is incredible how they they build up to this moment and you you create this this moment where as we said earlier, Ko- Koji gets there's an incident, and Koji can no longer perform. He can no longer play Lukovanya, and the the heads of the Hiroshima, you know, cultural exchange basically tell Yasuke there's one of two options: either you have to play Lukovanya, at which he's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that. And they're like, well, then we have to cancel it. And Yasuke goes, can you give me a couple days to think about it? Because there, no director on the planet is going to want to cancel something. They're never going to want to cancel the performance. They are going to try their damnedest to, to the show must go on. You need to figure out how to do it. I remember in my, uh, my senior year, uh, we did Oklahoma and, and the guy who played Curly, my best, one of my best friends, Ryan, um, during one of the practices, like dress rehearsal a week before we actually are, are set to perform during the fight scene with Judd, the kid who was playing Judd, this kid, Evan, Really, really nice guy. Like the 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 last guy you would expect to be playing Judd. Um, and and he's not. They're not like he's not very physical. He doesn't want to get very physical. They don't want to make it a fight. So the director finally like yells at them and says, "Come on, I need it to be believable." And the next take they do, uh, Evan playing Judd socks Ryan in the face. Big old black eye, and they have to then you know, cover up this black eye with makeup for the remainder of everything. Now, granted, it's not as an extreme a situation here, but the sh- the show must go on. You must figure things out. So Yusuke says, give me a couple days, and they go, cool, you got two. And then 
Rasuke does something very, very brilliant here. That him and uh, and Haruki and Takamasa, the the writing staff, does something extremely interesting here. And Yasuke goes, "Well, I can't confront my past. I I don't have the ability to do that. Let's go confront Misaki's past and ask Misaki how quickly can they drive to her, you know, childhood home." And she goes. Like, you know, uh, it's, you know, 24 hours or whatever. It's like a day. It's they, mm-hmm. She has to drive all night. And Yusuke says, well, hey, we can, you know, we can we can rotate. We can do shifts. And she's like, nope, that's not not allowed. Because per the contract he has with the, the cultural exchange, he's not allowed to drive. But Koji, uh, ignore that. He's not allowed to drive. So she drives the entire way. And at the site of, of her childhood home that is, has been destroyed by this, this landslide that, you know, killed her mother they have this conversation and they have this confrontation with each other's past in, in the location of uh, Misa- Misaki's house. Yasuke is also able to confront his past and confront his emotions. And he has, he, he has this, they have this back and forth and there's long soliloquies by both of them, long, long paragraphs, long of dialogue. And Yasuke finally gets to this point and goes, you know, those who survive keep thinking about the dead. In one way or another, that will continue. You and I must keep living like that. We must keep on living. It'll be okay. I'm sure we'll be okay. And that's sort of this emotional crescendo for him, that he finally accepts that no matter what, because I know we say, oh, if he had been home and had been able to help her, like they would have had that conversation— I mean, I've never been in this situation before, but if my significant other just had a brain hemorrhage and is in the hospital, I'm probably going to completely forget about that conversation. And if she ever brings it up, I'm going to just be like, no, 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 like worry about getting better. We can always have this conversation later. Like that's probably the last thing that's going to be on my mind at this point. So there's no guarantee that that conversation ever would have happened. There's no guarantee he ever would have had the, the, the emotional closure that he thinks that he may have had in that moment. And this isn't everything everywhere all at once. This isn't a Spider-Man, you know, No Way Home. This isn't Doctor Strange. There's no multiverse here. There is one existence. And you don't get to reload. You don't get to go back. You don't get to change things. You can wish that. You can wish that with every fiber of your being. You can want that so, so badly. But at the end of the day, you have to keep on living. You have to move forward, and sometimes you just have to accept that the past happens, and that someday you'll be okay with the outcome, that you'll accept that that outcome happened, and it'll just be part of you, and you'll move on, and and life will go on. And I think it's incredibly well done and just incredibly interesting that having these parallel characters, both suffering for things that they've done in their past, both leading to to the deaths of, of loved ones, people very, very close to them, and they get to have this, this hug and they both sort of get to exhale all of this pressure and all of this weight in the snow on a random hillside in northern japan i think that's just so incredibly well done and just was a very emotionally resonant movie uh, moment and then yusuke gets to go out then he plays uncle vanya and it's 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 just amazing and we get this continuation sort of of the same thing of you know uh you know everything will be okay one day 
you know, when when we die, uh, Park Yurim, again, the Korean sign language, having this soliloquy in Uncle Vanya, basically, again, kind of keeping the similar theme of, like, everybody knows we suffer now, but at the end of the day, it'll be okay. At, 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 you know, at, when we're dead, when we're in heaven, everyone will judge that we had a hard life and now we deserve a rest and we deserve to be allowed to move on. It's, it is just so so well done and it tugs at the heartstrings and you're right that two hours prior to it of all that build up all of this backstory all of this emotional weight that is being dropped as you learn every new fact and then you finally get to to breathe and feel all of it sort of fall off your shoulders and have kind of that same emotional exhale that both yasuke and and misaki have I it I it just fantastic, fantastic writing across the board. Yeah, it's really well done. And and there are other side characters that we haven't talked as much about because the emotional core of this film is absolutely Yusuke and Misaki. But Kochi is another great example of a you know a fascinating character, right? Uh, Yusuke kind of can see a younger version of himself to a certain extent. Obviously, he is the man that. Uh, his wife was cheating on him with at the end there. So there is a very immediate connection between him. And and there's this idea of like keeping him around means that he's maintaining some connection to her. Right. But obviously that was never going to end in a healthy place because you can't heal from the same place that caused you the pain. And so it's just so perfectly done the way that they have Koji as someone whose recklessness and inability to maintain his composure and professionalism, the thing that has allowed Yusuke to power through and build a career and become what he is, Koji never gets that. And as a result, he goes after a photographer who's being an asshole and taking a whole bunch of pictures after having been told not to, beats the guy up, and ends up killing him uh, as uh, the photographer dies from injuries. And as a result, he gets arrested and puts this whole drama that we talk about of him having to determine what to do next. And it's a fascinating character to play off of, right? This idea of someone who gives you this connection, who could fill in the blanks on this story that his wife had been hung up on, a story that always seemed to come to her after sex. And, and by recognizing that the story only finished after that hookup, it helps him recognize, hey, it probably had nothing to do with me. There's clearly something that she connects sex with that allows her to be creative. And that's what her career is all about. And it, like that, such a, a smart idea, one that I personally struggle with. Like it's, it's a tough thing to to wrap your head around to a certain extent, but one that is very real and one that I, I think it lands so much harder because Koji as a side character fills these multiple different roles. Every character fills these multiple different roles to the overall narrative and to the spirit of why we are here the metaphors that drive this film and i i just think you you could go down the list almost every character in this that's given any amount of of meaningful screen time has something 
to offer these characters that they could not find anywhere else. And so it's one of those things. Is it a three-hour film? Absolutely it is. And for some people, that is going to be a deterrent, and I get it, but I promise you, it does not feel like three hours because everything serves a purpose. There is no bloat with this film, which most three-hour films, there is. Here, it all adds up to the total. And, and I, I think removing any of it would make the film lesser for it. So it, it really, I, I mean, as you said, it's a testament to the writing staff, just how clever they are at this on so many different levels. I completely agree that this does not feel like a three hour long movie. This is not a slog in the way that like the Peter Jackson Hobbit films, uh, the last two especially, get. There is, I keep going back to this, you know, this, this thing from the House of Gucci and and, uh, and from other films, like there's no wasted space. And I, I did think going to this, it being Japanese, I sort of expected a certain kind of artistry from the the cinematography itself. And this is a, this is a gorgeously shot movie. Nothing feels out of place. Everything flows just so perfectly well. Like I said, I didn't even notice that I'd been watching the movie for almost 45 minutes when the the opening credits rolled. It just, it all rolls into each other and every part makes sense. And and the the acting is, is gorgeous and emotional and it sucks you in. And you are completely invested into everything that's going on. And, and like Chase said, the side characters, obviously... Um, Lee Yoon, the the Korean sign language, and I know I'm like hung up on this, but it, it's so just like it blows my goddamn mind that not only were they like, hey, this is like one of the quirks of this guy as a director and doing Uncle Vanya, but like she does Korean sign language throughout the entire film, and it's blowing my mind watching a movie that has sign language and it's part of the plot, and it just like it just makes sense, but then the the sort of hidden aspect of one of the festival organizers uh is uh Konyunsu, which is Lee Yoon's husband and there's this like reveal kind of in the middle that he's like I need to like admit that I've been lying to you about something and introduce them you know oh yes she's my wife I didn't want you to judge her based on her being my wife I wanted you to judge on her being the actor and, and the really really good actor that she is and there's this cute little discussion about well like oh well how did you learn mandarin oh it was because i lived in china well then how did you learn korean sign language and then this is the reveal is i learned korean sign language so i could speak to this this woman and and then make her my wife it, it is beautiful it is and, gorgeous parky rim the actress who plays uh lee yuna uh deserves so much credit i wish she'd gotten the best supporting actress role i think she would have deserved it easily i just i mean Obviously, it's not the biggest part in the world, but what she does with it and the way that she draws you in, it's an incredible performance. She deserves all of the credit in the world for it. I, I will say when she is on screen, my eye is drawn to her, and it's probably because of the sign language. But again, as I said earlier, the emotion that she is able to convey through sign language, uh, even when they're doing this you know, very dry kind of reading of the material so they can all understand what's going on, all of this is such a beautiful package and it is such a shame that the ending just it, the movie just ends it just it just ends and and chase and i have already sort of discussed a little bit of this and we know we're on opposite sides here i have never been so fucking frustrated with the ending of a movie 
And I think it's just particularly because from the first moment for two hours and 45 minutes, I have been completely sucked into this, completely emotionally invested. I am waiting for this just beautiful payoff to end. And then it ends with Misaki in a convenience store in COVID wearing a mask, walking out and there's the red sob and there's no Yasuke and there's a dog and then she just drives away. And I sat there for 20 minutes after while the end credits were rolling going, what the fuck? What, what the fuck? What do you mean that's the end? What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, man. I, I love the ending. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I understand the desire I hope, for I hope you would tell me what I missed here. Well, here's the thing, Walter. Uh, do any of us ever uh, truly get perfect closure on any story of our lives? Or do we carry the little things with us from the people that we've met in our different paths along the way? Because that's what it is. At the end of the day, she has Yusuke's car. Uh, and she has uh, a dog. And she's living How? her life. And she has to continue. And it's just a life that she has to continue to live. And that's what that's what we're all doing here, you know? We don't get a perfect storybook ending. She continues to be a driver. She continues to live a life. And I, I think that, like, putting it in the present day, certainly an interesting choice with the COVID mask, but it is just a reminder of, you know, we survive and we keep going despite our trauma, despite the things that we have faced and it doesn't give us a storybook ending most of the time, this whole life thing, but we do take some things with us and they can put a smile on our face and we can drive off in the distance and know that there was somebody out there who made an impact on us that got carried with us, whatever comes next. And I, I, I just, I don't think that there's any ending beyond like, like the real ending of this film is the Uncle Vanya moment, where he's it's the the final uh, monologue where we're gonna finally you're gonna be able to rest. And the present day is more of just you know a postscript, you know, an, an epilogue reminding us that the story continues because none of it is done just because the play is over because it's not life isn't a play it doesn't have a clear ending. You keep going. Um, so Here's I don't know. Why I completely disregard your premise. This is a <laughs> fucking movie. You're absolutely correct. I don't need that scene at the end with her in the convenience store. It should have ended with fucking Park Your Rim doing her sign language because that is the most mind-boggling thing in this entire movie. And it could have been so good if the end was th that scene the fade to black of the stage, the audience clapping, all applauding because what an excellent performance, and then fade to black, end credits music. Why? Why are you ruining this gorgeous, this amazing meal that I have just had with, like, 
It's like it's like being told, hey, you're going out, you're gonna go to a four-star Michelin restaurant, you're gonna have a 13-course meal, right? This is gonna be amazing. This is gonna be some like every dish gets better, everything gets better. You just finished course 12, you know, you have this nice cheese and fruit plate, and you're like, all right, cool. I haven't had like the big artery-clogging pastry yet. What's going on? And then the waiter brings you out a bowl of water and a lemon and is like, okay, wash your hands. And that's your final course. And and that like it was it was such a build up. It was such a build up with just layers and layers and layers and you're right this this Uncle Vanya scene is such a climax. It's such a it's so perfect. And you're like cool. And there's no after dinner mint. There's nothing. There's no bill even. They're just like, "All right, get the fuck out." And you're like, "Wait, what? What what do you mean? Just get the fuck out." I don't get to shake the chef's hand. I don't get I don't get a souffle. I don't get a fucking Andy's <laughs> chocolate mint. I get nothing. I was I was so angry. I was so angry that almost three hours of my life I'd been building up to this ending. And it's just nothing. There's nothing. It's not even an everything bagel. It's just nothing. <laughs> nothing. I, mean, I I understand where you're coming from. I would argue that anything that tried to provide an emotionally clean ending to the film would feel wrong for a film that is all about the messiness of emotions, the journey that we are constantly on. We we haven't even talked about the fact that the car, very much like the vehicle for most of, of these plot developments and then the aspect of driving and, and agency and whatever else, like it, it all ties in very well. To me, it had to come full circle because that's the whole reason that the film works is because we keep going on this journey that we call life. So it can't end on the stage because they didn't end on the stage. Life goes on and they have to live with that. And the thing that the audience is left with at the very end of the day is not the emotionally clean, comfortable, here's the the climax that you wanted. It's the uncomfortable truth that that happening just means that they get to keep going and that life goes on. And and, and they don't know what comes next because no one can. Um, And I understand that's not as emotionally satisfying in the moment, but this is not a film that is about giving you that emotional satisfaction in the moment. We we talked earlier about how that's an a, a American film absolutely does what you would have to, uh, wanted from it here. And and I'd be very curious to see what people who watch the film think. Uh, I, I think the ending certainly um, a a more controversial choice, but. I don't know. I, I thought it played very well into the themes that the movie had been playing on for so long um, that I enjoyed it, even as I recognize that it is not the satisfying closure bringing uh, end of a meal, as you've uh, so well put it. Fuck you, Rasuki Hamaguchi. I want my <laughs> after movie cigarette, damn it. <laughs> That's what? his next next film. He'll make sure. We'll, we'll send him a note. We'll make sure he's on it. Yeah. <laughs> but in all honesty, I, I, I do. I understand where you're coming from. I do understand the ending that 
like I just gushed about you know 15 minutes ago about this that like you have to move on that like the the dead have it like the dead have it easy basically it's over like they don't have to worry about anything else they don't have to they don't have to wallow in the past and yeah, they don't have to worry something... about fucking covid they're fine yeah <laughs> i mean hell dude i don't have to worry about covid anymore i had it right now i'm like i'm perfectly immune from it i that's that that's not true don't listen yeah, to me for medical God, advice I, that is that is that is knock bad. on all of the wood but not while bad. we're on mic because that would be very <laughs> bad for audio but, but i do i i understand that there is supposed to be the, the reason for that saying is just like, hey, life goes on and like, yeah, sh- some shit happened. Like, hey, you didn't worry about how 50 minutes into the movie we just like cut two years ahead. And, you know, Yasuke, his wife has now been dead for two years. You have no idea what he's been doing the last two years. The only person we really get any information about what's kind of gone on between that first scene going in or that first act going into the second act is Koji. And that's because he's like, yeah, like, they have a, a exposition dump where he's like, yeah, I, like, you know, got into it with an underage girl, and now I've been blackballed by the entire industry, and I've, like, re- I've looked for your name because I want to find what I had with, with Oto um, as a performer, and her, you know, as my, my director. I want to find that again. That, that's the only person you learn about what's been going on the last two years, and anything prior to that is, is ancient history as far as this movie is concerned. So... I get it. I, it. Afterwards, I understand. But in the immediate, you know, half hour after that movie, I was fucking furious. I was, <laughs> I was incensed that that was how that movie ended. But uh. Chase, here we are. Here we are at the ending. And while I do not have a red Saab 900 uh, to give you so that you can go into a convenience store and come out with snacks and pet your puppy that's sitting in the back seat, Ooh, at the end you. of it... What do you think? What were your final thoughts? How do you grade it? Where do we go from here? I mean, this was my second favorite film of last year. I, I love this film. Um, I think it is uh, really powerful. I, the themes that it explores, the performance of everyone in this cast. There is a reason that it got the nods that it did, uh, even from an Academy Award system that is really bad at giving films like this their due. Um, I, I give it a 10 out of 10. Uh, it, it's, I mean, he, here's the thing, right? At the end of the day, when I say that there is a three-hour Japanese film that is uh, about a, a man coming to terms with uh, his the relationship he had with his dead wife, if that has no interest to you, there's nothing this film can do that's going to change your mind on that, right? For some people, that is just a deal breaker. They're going to move on and watch whatever Marvel thing or, or whatever else, right? Uh, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing's for everybody. But for the people this is for, it's really brilliantly done. It's a film that has stuck with me long after I first watched it, and it's one that will continue to stick with me long after I have watched it. And uh, I can't say that about all of the Oscar-nominated films that we've talked about on this show. I, I, I really, uh, I'll give it a ten. Out, I'll give it a ten out of ten. I, I'm willing to to give it my second ten out of ten in the history of this show. Really, really enjoyed this. I guess third. I must have given it to. Um, uh, oh God! Power of the dog. Power of the dog. That's the one. Thank you. What was the other ten out of ten? 
uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, well, yeah. But Everything Everywhere All at Once is a 2002 film, uh, not a 2021 film. Or a 2022 well, 2022, film. yeah. Yay. That's fair. It's still, in, in the history of this podcast, there are three. Those are my three, and I'm very proud of that. Listen, there is a universe in which Everything Everywhere All at Once came out in 2002. Mm, that's true. That is very true. Uh, I'm going to give it a 9.75. I can't give it the 10 because in the moment... I I hated the ending, and I don't I I can't fault Hamaguchi. I can't fault the actors for that. But I just know giving it a ten would be cheating. It would be me lying because at, at that moment I was so upset with it. Um, but honestly, I think it's my favorite film from twenty twenty one. I think I I liked this movie more than I did. I enjoyed Power of the Dog. Um, not because I, I misinterpreted that ending and I had to be explained on this podcast what the ending of that movie was actually, but I just, I was so captivated from moment one and there wasn't anything about this movie that I really, I, I, that I really truly like disliked long-term, even, you know, even though in the moment, the ending, I was like, blah, blah, after I thought about it, like, it makes sense. I understand what they were trying to do. And I would 100% go back and rewatch that. And no, I would say if you don't think this is the movie for you, fuck you. Your opinion is wrong. Open your horizons. <laughs> watch this movie because you will get sucked into it in a way that I didn't think was possible when I first watched it. And I think part of that has to do with the subtitles. I couldn't have this on in the background, you know, on a second screen while I did something else. I had to be fully engaged with it. And sure, did I have to pause it a couple times so I could go refill my water? Absolutely. But yeah, it's a three hour long movie. Like I get up to go to the bathroom if I'm at the movie theater and the movie is two and a half hours long. Bite me. Like I <laughs> I think this is an exceptional movie and I am so happy that I took the time to watch it and that Chase nominated, you know, suggested it to me and really pushed that I should go see it. And I think I'm done with Oscar films for a while. I think that this this was pretty much a perfect ending to our sort of 2021 Oscar run of movies. And I'm ready to get back to where we started this podcast. So Chase, where can the good folks at home find you? Uh, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Um, we love hearing from you guys. Uh, so please let us know what you're you're thinking. Uh, about everything that we have been watching and playing, of course, because on that feed you'll also find our Steam Cleaners podcast, which is where Walter and I talk about the games that we have been playing uh, in all the weeks in which this is not coming out. So uh, if you want to hear that as well as theoretically uh, the occasional K-pop drop when I finally find some time in my schedule to edit the things, um, be sure to follow us uh, there and, and subscribe to the Rough Drafts feed. Otherwise, keep it here for the final cut feed. We'll have a new one every two weeks. And um, we have some, some plenty of, of fun movies coming ahead as well. Oh, we got some fucking bangers coming. <laughs> Trust me. We got some. Ch Chase has already told me what the next two movies are. And spoiler alert, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Please tell me how I'm wrong to, to hate the ending of this movie. Um, I Tell me what your favorite dessert is what would you want at the end of a 13 course fancy you know michelin four star uh restaurant I'd, I'd love to talk about food uh i'll keep the food thing for the beginning of the 
gaming episode, the uh, Steam Cleaners episode we're about to record. So go listen to that, that episode, which I think is the one that came out a week before this, to hear my take on some food because I finally got to use my new grill. Um, but in two weeks, come back because I gave Chase an ultimatum. He had to choose one of two superhero movies to watch. It was Spider-Man, No Way Home, and The Batman. Which one do you think he chose? And which one are we going to talk about next week? Well, in two weeks. Until then, goodbye, Internet.